This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to this week's show. Coming up, we'll be chatting with AFL England president and co-founder of the Crosscoders program, Jason Hill. We'll be checking in with USAFL media manager, Brian Barish. We'll be heading over to London to find out the latest results in the AFL London Women's League with Shannon Power. Coming back home, we'll check in in the AFL Sydney Women's Competition with Lauren Hodson and all the latest out of the VFL Women's Competition with Matthew Cox. But first, here's the latest women's footy news. In a shock to the AFLW, the 2018 Premiership coach Paul Groves has stepped down as coach of the Western Bulldogs, citing family reasons. This means two out of the three AFLW Premiership coaches are no longer coaching in the AFL women's competition. The Bulldogs will begin a search for Paul Groves' replacement immediately. The Collingwood Football Club have announced their latest rookie signing, another member of the Crosscoders program, Ashling Sheridan. The Irish woman played a couple of games for the NT Thunder in the VFLW competition over the last month and was announced this week as the latest signing to the Collingwood Football Club. Also another signing news, we've got the Gold Coast Suns announcing that Molly Ritson of the Bond University Football Club will be joining their AFLW program. Ritson is the third player to join the Suns in less than a month along with the signings of Lauren R. Renz who's currently playing at the moment with Essendon in the VFLW and Maddie Roberts. That takes the Suns' current list to 18 players as they head into the 2020 AFLW competition. Joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival, one of the co-founders of the Crosscoders program. It's great to have on the line AFL England president Jason Hill. Jason, how are you? Yeah, very good, Peter. How are you about yourself? I'm feeling great. You must be feeling fantastic as well. Another one of your cross-coders, Ashlyn Sheridan, has been signed to the Collingwood Football Club. Yeah, that's correct. It's, uh, I think that's taken us up to, to 10 now in the league for this coming season and uh, still one more to be announced in the, uh, in the coming days as well. Well, that's fantastic. We're going to keep our ears open for that one. Now, I want to step back for a moment. Since we're talking about cross-coders and people are starting to really hear about it now with all these Irish women being signed, of course, you co-founded it with Lauren Spark of the Western Bulldogs. Actually, how did the idea behind the program originally begin? Yeah, so, I mean, when we were... Uh, I mean, me and Lauren have known each other for a while now. Um, we met playing football um, in the UK for the Wimbledon Hawks um, and... When she returned for the first season of the AFLW, I wasn't uh, far behind coming out to play uh, for the Great Britain team at the AFL International Cup. And she was again there as a assistant coach for the uh, GB Swans. Um, and then we just uh, kept talking about what was life going to be like for football after her, um, her career had finished. And the more she spoke about it, the more she realised she wanted to stay in sport in some capacity um, when her playing days were finished and we started to look at what was going to come when I guess all of these sports not just AFL start to add professional opportunities for women and start to provide women with a I guess a platform to, to show their skills how can we help how can we match women from whatever elite background they're from to sporting opportunities no matter where they lie in the world and obviously 
when we were thinking about this, we thought we have such a good connection through our AFL uh, cohorts in the uh, the rest of the world, through playing the game around Europe, around North America, in Australia. Um, and then we thought, okay, how can we help some of these women who would be elite in their sport, but maybe not professional or even semi-professional, have an opportunity to experience being a um, professional athlete somewhere in the world. And obviously through her connections at the Bulldogs um, and through our connections with um, some of our other co-founders, Jonathan Jeffries, um, another Brit, and also now uh, one of our newer directors, uh, Holly Sinclair, who leads our health, wellness um, and nutrition programs. Um, we started to pull together a team that we believe could actually deliver back to, I guess, these athletes the opportunity to have this have this opportunity. If you see what I'm saying, it's uh, the ability to connect a girl from a, an elite sporting background with an elite sport somewhere in the world that allows her to, I guess, realise that dream of being a professional. So we started here with uh, with AFL, and I mean, you would have noticed recently um, we just announced our first partnership with uh, Rugby Victoria around how we can help the uh, the rebels. Um, elevate rugby across uh, across the state so that they can look at uh, competing even uh, even better at a Super W uh, level. Let's talk about the idea behind getting international players to come to the Australian Football League women's competition. Because up until that point, at least for the first two seasons of the AFLW, when coaches, list managers, etc. were looking at rookies, they were looking at Australians that were switching sports, essentially. Yep. Hockey players, netball players, cyclists, rugby players, etc. What was the idea behind choosing those that were from outside of Australia? Yeah, I think it was, uh, it was twofold. Firstly, um, we we believe that there are extremely talented athletes that would be able to provide a different aspect, a different flair, a different experience to the game, um, something that's maybe not necessarily so much there in the men's game. Um, and we, we looked at it and thinking, okay, how can we use our connections internationally um, through the likes of AFL Ireland, through the likes of AFL England, USAFL, um, to start reaching out to athletes in these different parts of the world to start actually creating a global game. I know um, people like yourself, Peter, and I've been a big advocate for the uh, international game and how that can help grow the sport. Um, and I think it's something that we wanted to, to see happen at a fairly uh, junior age of the league is how can we create pathways now that provide stability for the competitions across the world that provide opportunities for those competitions across the world and then provide role models back to those communities so that we can actually see a growth of the game internationally and then so that we can continue to provide viable professional opportunities for women that want to travel to Australia and play professional sport. Was the initial hesitation from the AFL clubs to what you were doing? Because at that stage, we knew that the list managers weren't looking overseas. We know, in fact, as you mentioned, when you attended uh, the AFL IC 2017, no recruiters were sent to have a look at players from the AFL clubs. How did it go about trying to convince them that this was a worthwhile venture? I think it's uh, something I talk about a lot of is is, uh, perceived risk. Um, I speak about it. Uh, originally, I speak about it now. I think it was a perceived risk taking a girl from overseas. They couldn't have watched played. They couldn't 
um, see day to day. They couldn't just go and call to to have the conversation. I think that was uh, something they worried about, and that's why we took the risk and bought these eighteen girls from all over the world originally to Australia to actually try and break down some of those barriers. Um, those barriers still exist. There are still some clubs that are still a bit unsure about what they can bring. Um, but I think you look at Ashwakarfi, you look at Ailish Constantine, you look at Yvonne Bonner, Sarah Rowe, Cora Staunton, they've all come and within six, seven games, you now see them in probably the top five players in their club. Um, you see them winning uh, grand finals, kicking goals in grand finals. And I think that's starting to break down some of these barriers. I think the perceived risk now is with athletes from outside of Ireland. Um, they, now we got, we've established that pathway. It was obviously a fairly well understood pathway from the men's game as well. Um, so now it's a case of how do we create and replicate this same pathway and break down these same barriers for um, forcing opportunities for women in the USA, for sporting opportunities for women in Fiji, for sporting opportunities for women in Wales, for instance. I think that's uh, the next task for us because there are definitely elite-level athletes out there that would bring something new to this competition, and it's something we're excited to uh, to see transpire as well. Initially, with the Crosscoders program heading into your first camp in September, you had AFL England jump on board, which was very handy as you were the president. The AFL Ireland yeah. Women's Competition, AFL Canada, but the USAFL was actually a bit hesitant, and I think it was to do more with legalities in the background. Uh, how long did it take to try and get them and other leagues as well, with, with a bit of hand-holding, to get them on board? Oh, look, it's, uh, it's a, an ever-evolving beast, that, right? It's um, something we have to continue to, to work with these... Um, these organisations to make sure we are providing something back to the community there. Obviously, um, through Europe, we have very strong connections just due, due to locale of where we used to be based. Um, coming from the USA standpoint, yep, you're right there. Their concerns were around how we could look after the players, I think, more than anything, because I think they'd been burnt in the past by um, players not getting the support they needed um, when they came to Australia trying to chase the dream. Um so I think what we have to sort of say is like, I guess cross-coders isn't just a, a pathway for um, AFL players to come play in Australia. We do so much more than that. We we work with our players to help them find career opportunities here in Australia. We work with our players to help them find education opportunities. Um, this is the, the sort of, I guess, rounded service we look to provide um, to the, the women that come through our program is that we understand that it's a, a daunting, um, hard task that, that facing alone seems even worse. So we try and put as big of a support network in place um, for not just the girls playing at the AFL level, but the girls playing at the VFL level, um, girls that want to just come and play community football. We're, we're trying to provide them with the opportunities that they can leave Australia in one, five, ten, fifteen, twenty years' time and they come out in a better place in their life, whether that be career, whether that be sporting, whether that be education, than when they came here. So let's talk about that first camp. Originally, it was meant to be fighting for a spot on the Bulldogs list, but it ended up being other clubs getting involved. I believe it was a bit of a backhanded compliment from the AFL where they said, no, you've got to open up this program to more clubs. I think um, 
the AFL have always been very much uh, one in all in sort of mentality. I think yeah, they uh, obviously with salary caps, with drafts, etc. They're very they're very certain they want to make the league a fair league and uh, an open opportunity league. Um, and I applaud them for that. I think we looked at it from a we wanted to almost do a proof of concept, prove the theory, and then look to expand out to the rest of the clubs a year later. Um, if anything, they just expediated our, um, our growth by a year, which is great for us personally. Um, and, I mean, even though clubs necessarily hadn't thought about the idea of bringing international athletes um, to the AFLW originally, I think once we saw, um, they saw the opportunity, once they saw the 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 ability to potentially do it, I think that excited them. And I think that's why we were very keen to, to work with them very quickly. And obviously having three clubs pick up um, players in that first cohort and then now adding in clubs from every state. I mean, we have players now in Queensland with Brisbane. We have players in Western Australia with Fremantle and with um, uh, the West Coast Eagles. And obviously now adding in North Melbourne, um, Collingwood, into the cohort here in, in Victoria, it's uh, it's definitely something that's been accepted, um, I guess, by the league, by list managers as a as not just a viable way to add talent to the bottom end of the list, but also to look at okay, well, what can we improve at the top end? Is it rather ironic when you look back at it that the first player signed was Ailish Considine to the Adelaide Crows, and she would go on to win the premiership? <laughs> I think so. I think uh, maybe Phil Harper and the team at Adelaide saw something. Uh, they wanted to jump on pretty quickly and I think uh, Adelaide will continue to be a, a very strong side um, this coming year. I think obviously having a, an uncompetitive draft uh, in South Australia um, compared to the rest of the league, them being the, them and uh, obviously GWS being the only two left that have that, I guess, perceived advantage means that I think they're going to be a, a tough team to, to beat in uh, 2020. What was the breakthrough moment for you, did you think, that made other clubs notice the Crosscoders program? Was it uh, the signings being done? As we said, Ailish being taken up by um, by the Adelaide Crows, signings uh, to GWS with the Yvonne Bonner, um, Ailish McCarthy being taken in the draft, or was it perhaps that game against the Victorian draft hopefuls at Sandringham that uh, very cold winter's night? I think that definitely... Um Set a new level of expectation for the clubs. Um, the, the, that, that game there where we could take a group of girls, some of who hadn't seen a, a football before um, getting on a flight to, to Australia um, and actually, I guess, not just beat, but really, I guess, just show off the level of athleticism, the level of professionalism, the level of quality that they had with only very, very basic training, I think, excited um, clubs just because of the fact that you could see the upside. I mean, you could see that they could improve so quickly and they're so dedicated to what they're doing. I think it was actually nothing to do with any of the services we provided, any of the um, signings that happened. I think it just showed these girls have so much natural talent that they just spoke themselves. I don't think we needed to do too much work after that to, to really... Um, gain interest because I think they were just excited about seeing a snippet of what was available and now they're constantly looking to us to go okay what do we have that could do this or what could we do to replace this or what could we do to add to this so I think um, it's credit to the the girls that took that risk in the first year 
they've really set the pathway for, for anyone coming after them. Prior to your camp in May this year and backing off a review of what you did in September last year, what were the things that you identified that you needed to improve on after running your first camp? Um, not spending so much money. Um, that was probably the number one thing. It was obviously, as you can imagine, it's quite an expensive uh, experience bringing 18 players from different areas of the globe to Melbourne for a week in grand final week. But the other thing was we wanted to showcase more talent. So we knew pretty quickly we wouldn't be able to uh, finance a larger group to come to um, Melbourne. And we wanted to make this, I guess, the best experience for both the players themselves and the the club and obviously that meant going to almost where the talent was which was the northern hemisphere so going over to ireland and having girls turn up from canada from actually even malaysia from croatia germany the uk um, i think was uh, the right move for us because it allowed us to really spend a bit more time with these girls um, one-on-one and actually still provide the clubs with the same level of access to the player as if they were there i mean some did come and join us um but we just wanted to be able to showcase more talent, and that that was the main thing for us. We wanted to to really, really show the AFL, show the clubs that there is. We've only scratched the surface here, and and we really think this is a viable pathway um, for years to come. Is it a weird feeling coming into that camp in May in Ireland to uh, to put the women through their tests, already knowing that some actually participating in the camp have already been signed, but you can't say anything until the AFL club say, OK, let's release this? Uh, look, and it, most of the girls that had been signed um, had been announced pre, um, pre-camp. Um, it was a case of we were working with the clubs to then use it as almost a training camp for them. So as a way of being able to give them a benchmark for their, I guess, athletic ability to give them a benchmark for where their skills are at, to give them a benchmark of, of what their what their experience should and will look like. Um, so we just basically used it as a way to slightly flip the model for them that it wasn't then competitive. They could relax. They could ask questions. They could really immerse themselves in what they would expect because, I mean, these girls are so committed to their other sports that they won't have that much time to think fully around the AFL while they're in the middle of, say, the Gaelic Championship season or while they're in the middle of soccer seasons and stuff like this. So it just meant that we could spend a weekend with them, asking the questions they they had, helping them get to know us a bit better because obviously we'll be a large part of their support network here in Australia and then allow them just to, I guess, relax in the environment and, uh, and where they're not feeling the pressure of being in an elite sporting club with a lot of expectation on them as the, the next Irish player or the next international player. And it just allowed us to, to just help them just through that, um, those first bits of, uh, I guess, some of those unsureties. Can you, in 60 seconds, paint a picture of what's it look like from the player's point of view to the concept of they're interested in Australian football, to finding cross-coders, to signing up, to getting to that point where they're in the camp? Yeah, I think the, uh, the interest has just come from being able to watch their their peers, watch the people they compete against, they play with, um, go out and just experience a whole new lifestyle in Australia, um, get the ability to be a professional athlete um, for a a period of time that they might not get in their uh, home country or their home sport. And then from there, it's a case of just coming to us and asking the question, right? It's how do you, how do they best set themselves up to be a professional footballer here in the AFL um, or in any other sport they're interested in? 
and then allow us to work with them to really understand their their aspirations, where they want to get to, their current experience, their current um, background, and then use that to work with the clubs to understand actually do they fit what they're trying to do there, and then work through them through the process from there. And it's a case that the process runs very differently at every club, but at the same same time, they're all looking for the best talent no matter where it might uh, sit in the world. The only concern or worry at the moment, I guess, from the outsider's point of view is there's a bit of concern in the football community. It seems to be just an Irish pipeline at the moment because all the players that have been signed off the Crosscoders program to the AFLW have been Irish, naturally because of the Gaelic background and how that translates to Australian football. Uh, if we look across the world, uh, to your very own AFL England competition in London, it's the only one for women in the world outside of Australia that plays 18 a side. Obviously, we talk about the US because of the college sports system and the amount of women coming out of there that don't have sporting opportunities. And if we look across the border again to Canada, uh, Canada knocked off Ireland in the 2014 IC tournament and fell within a goal in 2017. So what's being done to try and bring these other countries, besides their league saying we're interested in being involved in the program, but yeah. getting players from those countries to get that opportunity in the AFLW. Yeah, sure. Well, obviously, as you can imagine, we are a, a global program. We have had players from all of these different communities come. Firstly, in the initial camp, we had players from Canada, the USA, the UK, Fiji, um, that all represented, and France as well, that all represented their their local leagues. Um, we had players this year from Germany, from Croatia, from the UK, from Canada again, from um, Malaysia. So, I mean, the, the pathway is open to them. There's no doubt about that. And we're working with them. We're working with Frankie Hocking at St Kilda. We're working with April Lewis at Essendon um, at the VFL level. Um, we're working with some Irish talent as well at the VFL level to help them get towards their goal of playing in the AFLW. I mean, I come back to what I said earlier around perceived risk. I think there's still a perceived risk when they're not Irish that they won't be at the right level um, because of the fact that they don't have, they they haven't seen it be successful yet. They've seen obviously Mason Cox more recently in the, the men's game, which is starting to break down some of these barriers. But at the same time, until one club takes the plunge on a player that isn't Irish um, and says, you know what? I think she's got the talent. I'm going to give her a go um, and see where we end up. I think that will be the, the tipping point for us. Um, and in case of we're going to keep showcasing this talent, this is never going to be an Irish program. Um, we've never, ever said it will be and we've never said it has been. Um, it's just a case of right now where the clubs, um, I guess, see a sense of security is um, with this talent. And let's be honest, these girls are some of the most talented sportswomen in Island. So there is obviously this level of they are elite. They are the best players that that country produces in that sport. It's not like we're getting girls from uh, a community sport that is then trying to be pushed into a professional environment. These girls are professional in all but the sense that they don't get paid. So it's probably a little bit of the perception a little bit of the talent that's attracted. And then we're just going to keep mashing that all together until we get to a point where we continue to find girls from these other countries that can then make the step up into the AFLW because it will happen. I have no doubt about that. It's just a case of when, not if. Let's talk about two things that are coming up on the calendar. One, I believe that you're proposing, and that is an Ireland versus Australia 
international rules series for women. We've seen it for men over many years on a two-year cycle. I believe you're working in the background to try and get something up on the women's side. Uh, I mean, it's something we've uh, aspired to looking at um, in the past. I mean, the talent's definitely there to do it. I think it's a case of there's uh, still a lot of conversations to to continue before we get to a point before we can announce anything um, or anything like that. And I think there's still conversations to be had with the likes of the AFL, the likes of the GAA, the LGFA, um, to to look at the viability of it. Um, but at the same time, I think there's an appetite from the players. I think they'd love to um, to have the opportunity to represent Ireland and represent Australia in sports that don't traditionally have representation pathways at the international level. And I think that would appeal to a lot of players. Um, but at the same time, I think there's a, a lot of boxes to be ticked before we can uh, go too far down um, that road, and especially before we can uh, look to announce anything like that. We know uh, in about 14 months' time from now, August 2020, will be the next edition of the AFL International Cup. What are the plans at this stage for the Crosscutters to, I guess, weave into that, considering the amount of women from overseas, along with the men, that will actually be here in Melbourne in one place for about three weeks? Oh, look, we'll always keep on our, our eye on what's going on there. Um, obviously, through my other roles, I have a fairly good understanding of what's going on in Europe. I'll um, likely be back for the European Championships this coming October to, I guess, get my uh, my feel for what's uh, going to come over from Europe. And obviously, as always, very excited to see what the USA, what Canada, um, what even some of the newer teams that, that might pop up um, in that time can do. And look, I mean, I think that now we've started this pathway, it won't just be us there. I think that you'll see a lot more of the clubs representing um, themselves there and looking at what talent might exist. Um, because you never know, you might get a girl that picks up the sport in the next year in the USA from an elite back, uh, basketball background who might um, make an, an amazing ruck for the USA national team and then she might have an opportunity off the back of it. I think there's um, there's plenty of pathways for girls to, um, to to get a look in and I think um, what we can provide them is the, the I guess the ability to understand the lay of the land, the connection into the clubs um, across Australia and just helping them with transition because it's not an easy one. Um, the amount of regulations there are not just in the AFL but in visas, in working, in all of these different aspects of coming to Australia. Um, it's something we have, uh, I guess, plenty of experience in now. And it's something I think we can uh, help any athlete who's, uh, I guess, aspiring to come to Australia to play any sport. So um, I'm excited to see what happens in the tournament. I um, obviously was a participant in 2017. So know what a great experience it is for um, young athletes um, coming over to play the game. And I'd hope to see, um, I guess, an even stronger competition in 2020 than there was in 2017. And what's now in the immediate future for the Crosscoders? Um, so we're still working with some players around um, the rookie listing. Obviously, rookie lists don't close um, until uh, August 30th in the AFLW. Um, some women were looking at their draft uh, prospects as well. And we'll be continuing to talk to clubs um, as we work through that. Obviously, um, we've started some work with the Melbourne Rebels in the uh, rugby um, union scene as well so we'll be doing some work there and then it's a case of just looking at how we can 
further develop some of these pathways um, so that we can make sure that this is a, uh, a continually evolving beast. Well, Jason, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We wish you all the very best of success with the Crosscoders program, and we look forward to that next signing being announced very shortly. Peter, have a great day. So with the news that Irish woman Ashling Sheridan has joined the Collingwood Football Club after going through the Crosscoders program, we thought we'd flash back for a moment to September last year when the inaugural Crosscoders camp was held in Melbourne. We conducted uh, interviews with 17 of the 18 women participating in that camp. One of them was Ashling Sheridan, and here was us speaking to her on day two of that camp. And we're joined now by 22-year-old Irish national in uh, Ashling Sheridan. Ashling, first of all, welcome to Melbourne. Bit of cool, bit of cool weather. So I guess it's a little bit kind. Yeah, um, I think we all came out with the expectations that it was going to be very warm or something. That the way we're going on, talking about the cold, you'd swear we're coming from a hot climate. But uh, yeah, Melbourne's weather seems to be a bit unpredictable, kind of like home. Can you believe that you're halfway across the world playing a sport that you may not have even heard of when you were growing up? No, like even yesterday when we were coming out of the train and I, I was chatting to some of the girls and I was even liked them then. God, like it still hasn't really hit me that I'm in Australia, like just with the whole everything's happening so fast and um, like some of the testing we're doing is kind of similar to home and even with the weather and everything, it's sometimes I'm like, oh God, I'm in Australia and then I kind of forget about it. It's kind of a bit in between, so it is. You talked about like the testing back home. Can you give us an insight, particularly for the other sports that you play, about what type of testing you'll be done to obviously test if you're worthy of having a place on the side? Well, like we did the kind of an agility test and a 20-meter sprint test, which I've done before with my county. Um, and then just, I suppose, like the vertical jump, I uh, hadn't really done that Um even the decision making we had to work on uh, I've never actually done anything like that so that was kind of kind of different to experience and the kicking and the 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 Buckley kicking test we did I've never heard of that till yesterday so that was different but uh, it was all enjoyable so it was as we talk that uh, this is a semi-professional contract, and like the women out here, they're all semi-professionals having to juggle uh, school or, edu- or uh, their work career. Uh, for yourself back home, again, I believe it's amateurs that you're playing as ladies Gaelic football. What are you trying to balance as well as playing your sport? Um, well, I'm only after finishing college there back in the end of May, kind of start of June. And I was playing college football and county football at the one time and club was there as well. And then with my degree was final year, so I had a big dissertation to do. So I suppose all of that was kind of trying to work on time and that. And with college football finished, then it was kind of straight back into I go to college in Dublin. So I'd have to travel from Dublin to Cavan, um, which would be about an hour and a half drive every Tuesday or Wednesday evening. And then I'd have to be home for a Friday evening training. So I suppose from trying to do my dissertation and testing and writing up the whole paper to having to travel home some evenings, that was probably something that was kind of, you had to really time out. Um, especially like it's not a professional sport, so you're doing it because you want to do it. Mm. And that's probably a big thing as well. Like you said, coming to the end of your college years, were you considering that fact of coming to Australia or somewhere like that anyway, post-college, that doing the two-year working visa, for example? Yeah, um, I was offered to go out to America for the summer, but I kind of decided against that. But uh, one of my housemates is actually coming out to Australia now in November to play with Collingwood. Mm. So that was kind of in my house anyway, like uh, with me and my housemates. Um, that she was always talking about going to Australia and stuff like that. And we always said, like, uh, seeing 
how things work out that we might go but then with her going to AFL it kind of we got more into it and got talking about it more and it definitely seemed like a possibility that of course would be Sarah Rowe who's been picked up have you actually had the opportunity since obviously Sarah knew that she was going to play over here to take the oval shaped ball and try and work together and work on those skills prior to coming to the combine well um, only when she I remember she landed back from Australia she went out to visit for 10 days I think it was in April uh, she had brought home some of the balls so just in our housing housing estate we kind of went out to the field area and she was explaining to us the kicking and the the hand passing and that kind of thing but uh, it was only we had a few balls just lying around the house so unless you picked it up and just kicked it yourself and there wasn't too much focus on that but then when we were told we were going to Australia I think it got a bit more serious and I was at home practicing nearly every day and just trying to get used to the different shaped ball and just getting used to the kind of the kicking because it's a bit different to Gaelic especially it's kind of more off the laces whereas kicking in Gaelic you kind of kick around the boot and kind of on the inside of the boot. Uh, Which we saw with Cora Stoughton with most of her shots on goal were kicking around the corner from straight in front which was quite unusual compared to obviously us Australians have we're grown up kicking the foot Football. For yourself personally, what skills do you think you bring best to the AFL game? Um, I suppose I'd be a very strong uh, player in Gaelic. I kind of play near in front of the goal, so I'd be quick, uh, quick and strong in a one-on-one ball to win it and kind of turn a player. So I definitely think they'd be something I could bring to the game. Um, and I'm tall enough, so I'd be good under a high ball. But they're probably my strengths, I'd say. You got to see in person the VFL Women's Grand Final, which is, I guess, using an American term, you call it the minor league compared to the major league, that is AFLW. What did you pick up from being there in person to watch the bigger field in the 18-a-side game? Um, when I first seen the field, I I didn't it didn't shock me the size of it because the Gaelic football pitch is generally big. Um, the the game was brilliant, but there was some stuff I, we were talking to some of the Australians, like uh, the managers here, and we were just kind of everyone came, kind of seemed to follow the ball. Whereas in Gaelic, we were always looking for the space. We're kind of spreading it out. That's kind of what I was like. Oh, is that a big thing here? But um, the managers were saying, yeah, like that's kind of what you're looking for. Instead of everyone falling the ball, kind of switching the play, we do a lot of that in Gaelic. You get caught in a corner, you kind of work it back out and switch to the other side. So that was kind of one thing I noticed in the VFL game that probably wasn't there as much. But um, I think it was just the game. It's actually a thing here. One thing we talk about with Gaelic football is their athleticism. So can you give us an insight to how much exact training you do per week, how much time you're out there on the training track trying to improve your fitness? Yeah, um, well, I suppose it's kind of different, I suppose, with college versus your county or your club. So with college, because you only have a set time, you know, uh, girls are only in college from Monday to Friday and you're at home at your weekend. So if I take the month of March, for example, so Tuesdays and Thursdays was with my college, Dublin City University or DCU. Then Fridays was with uh, my county Cavan and Sundays was generally a football match with Cavan and then we back up. So it was training would be an hour and a half generally with every team and then your game which is two 30 minutes so there was some weeks where you'd have two games a week because with the college championships coming up we were trying to get in um, trying to get in challenges and then the championship started so I'd have a game maybe uh, you'd be training Tuesday game Thursday the county manager would give you the Friday off and then you'd have another game the Sunday. It'd be something like that. So it was pretty hectic. Um, then once college finish, finishes, you kind of have that, you kind of have that extra session off. As well, not, I suppose. And then maybe then when club starts, it's kind of hard to fit that in. It, it has to be kind of worked between your club and your county managers. 
And finally, um, you had on Monday your first combine testing, going through all the skills, the leaps, the 20-metre sprints, etc. How do you think personally you fared? Um, I, I've seen some of my results and I was happy with them. Um, I had the second fastest 20-metre sprint, which I was happy with, and I, I had a good jump and i seen my agility and it was all good. I suppose they were the results we could see. Um, I'm not sure about the decision-making that was gone on a computer, so that's different. The kicking, I think everyone was kind of the same with the kicking, um, just trying to get used to the distance and the accuracy and that. Uh, that was okay. It probably could have been better, could have been worse, but um, I was happy with my results and hopefully it'll help. Ashton Sheridan, thanks very much Thank for joining very us. Much. Don't go anywhere. We've got more Women's Australian Rules football on RSN Carnival coming up in just a moment. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org. You're listening to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. It's time to go for our international footy wrap. We'll be checking in with what's happening in the United States and in England in just a moment's time. But a quick score check with what's happening in Canada in the AFL Quebec women's competition. They had round three over the weekend where it was Notre Dame to Grace Giants versus the Montreal City Bluebells. And it was the Giants 13-8-86 defeating the Bluebells 2-9-21. Player of the match being Amy Legault. Across to the AFL Ontario women's competition. Round four played over the weekend. Ebico Kangaroos 11-11-77 defeated the Central Blues no score. Hamilton Wildcats 12-12-84 defeating the High Park Demons 1-2-8 with the Ottawa Swans having the bye. We look ahead to round five action. Both games this Saturday 22nd of June 11am at Mohawk Park. Hamilton Wildcats versus the Ebico Kangaroos while at uh, Manatick Polo Club at 4pm the Ottawa Swans play host to the High Park Demons. Central Blues having the bye. And joining us on the line now here at RSN 927's Digital Radio Channel Carnival to take a look back at the USAFL weekend of women's football we've got on the line. The American BT, the media manager at the United States Australian Football League, Brian Barish. Brian, how are you? G'day, Peter. Glad to be talking footy with you once again. And finally, your regional series has kicked off and it kicked off on the weekend over in Riley, North Carolina. Yep, dead in the center of the Tar Heel State. And uh, we were worried that the weather was going to be a little unforgiving, as it usually is in that part of the country in the middle of summer. Uh, however, we were treated to beautiful conditions, uh, nice and breezy. The top was about, I think, 25 or 26 degrees Celsius. So uh, absolute perfect conditions for what ended up, uh, what turned out to be a really good weekend of football. Indeed, we saw the Eastern Regional Tournament come down to a three-team combination. Um, the core teams, of course, were the New York Magpies, uh, the DC Eagles and the Columbus Cats. But can you explain, first of all, who was paired with the DC Eagles and who was paired with the Columbus Cats? Yeah, so the Eagles had two players from the Atlanta Kookaburras and from the Baltimore Dockers. And then the Columbus combination was a little bit more spread out. Uh, they had uh, 
five, uh, four players from the Philadelphia Hawks, four from the Nashville Kangaroos, who are a central regional team who were uh, crossed over since they were nearby and had the opportunity to play more footy. Uh, one player from Boston, and we had one player traveling down from the Minnesota Freeze, Catherine Mullen, who is a, uh, a Liberty player who played at the in the Australia Tour last year. So. Uh, actually really great to see all of these clubs coming together uh, considering uh, you know the the struggles of growing the uh, women's teams on the eastern region the last couple of years so the fact that we had representatives from all these teams was great to see so let's talk about it it's a round robin tournament so no grand final each team plays each other once the best record takes out the eastern regional title and we kicked off the day with the dc eagles combination taking on the columbus cats combination and this was a really good game between two core teams that were that have really developed over the last couple of years and two teams that have at times struggled for numbers. However, uh, on, on this occasion, uh, the Eagles had brought down a dozen players and really came out in force. Uh, one of the best players from them and who will be heading to the Freedom uh, Camp in, in Racine during the summer is Kristen Lowe. And she snuck up from her fullback position to be involved in the opening goal of the game. Uh, Shannon Mahoney, who... Uh, Part of that Cats renaissance, the Columbus renaissance of their women's team in 2014 had the opening goal. It was, uh, I think the Eagles had a one-point lead at halftime. But the one thing that really did it for the Eagles was their speed. Uh, Molly Halberstadt, who's one of the quickest players in the league. Olivia Trixler had a lot of the football, uh, as did uh, Kendall Jennings and Jennings is known as a very physical player. She was creating a lot around the football and helped set up the second goal that ultimately gave the Eagles the win. Final score: DC two five seventeen defeats Columbus one one seven, and the Eagles off to a really good start. But for the Cats, especially the four players from the Philadelphia Hawks, Lindsey Terce uh, had a wonderful, a wonderful game in this one, and and really just a great day. She's emerged as they're one of their best players. Leslie Gartner, who played well in the ruck, wasn't called upon to ruck in this particular tournament, but uh, was creating chances around the ball. So uh, a, a good showing for the Cats, even though they went down by 10 points. The Cats then had to back up against the New York Magpies, who were coming off a little bit of form after winning the tournament over in Montreal. Well, they had lost their first two games of the season, Peter, and, and you look at who they were missing. Uh, they were missing Natalie Wolf. They were missing Jessica Taylor, one of their uh, one of their Australians who has uh, just started her second year. And they were missing Kim Hemingway. And you and I have called games over the last couple of years, and, and Kim really hasn't had in the games that we've called the same punch and same effect that she had had uh, as when she was making that run and when we were talking very seriously uh, a couple of years ago about her playing an AFLW. And, uh, well, uh, she completely turned that form around in this game. The Magpies winning by 32 points in their opener. New York 7-4-46, defeating Columbus 2-2-14. But some really good individual stories here. Uh, and, of course, Hemingway kicking five of those seven goals. Uh, absolutely uh, dominating performance for her, even when they were playing her one-on-one. -on -one, uh, she was able to get free more often than not. Janie Green, uh, who's a relatively new player, she ended up being named 
best on ground for the entire tournament. Uh, and she's a relatively new player that they got just this year, uh, a native of Perth, Western Australia. They had seven Aussies on this team to the, to the Magpies, and that's kind of rare in the women's game. And Green, one of their best players, uh, as well as Taylor, who would become uh, – even stronger in the second in the second game, Amy Arundale had a really good game for the Magpies. But for the Cats and for that combination, uh, the the players that had always been sort of role players on the team really stepped up. And in the second part of the second half, in the last ten minutes, the Cats actually held the Magpies scoreless. The Magpies got their last goal of the game with about 10 minutes to go. And not only did the Cats keep them scoreless, but they were leading the offensive chances. And one of the great stories of this game, Stephanie McKittrick, who normally played fullback for this Cats team, even going all the way back to their foundation days as the Jillaroos, in her 10th season, not only kicked her first goal of the game, but kicked two of them uh, towards the end of the game, the one beautiful kick from about 30 meters out. She was able to get free. So the fact that some of these other players stepped up was really great. And we have to mention the four Nashville players as well. The two players that uh, will be playing or will be fighting for a chance on the freedom, Alexa Roncaccio and Natalie Smith played really well. Both got a lot of touches, especially Smith coming out of the back line. Kristen Baldwin got uh, about 10 or so possessions in this game in the middle of the field. And Brooke Elias was named as one of the three vote getters. So really good signs from these developing sides as they grow and they try to build in their markets. So it all come down to a pseudo grand final between the two sides that had a win each. The DC Eagles combination up against the New York Magpies in the final game. And this was exactly what happened last year in the Eastern Regionals in Philadelphia. Winner take all, shootout essentially. And just like last year, the Magpies would have had the uh, would have had the advantage in the case of a draw. And I bring that up uh, for a specific reason. The Eagles, of course, won that game in a very very physical, very rough game that was played on a very wet field. Conditions much better, as we said, for this one. And this was a close one, and I think a lot closer than a lot people a lot of people were expecting. Because the Magpies, having brought in that full side, I think we're expecting them to blow to blow the, the uh, Eagles out of the water. But the Eagles actually took a lead. One of the two Atlanta players, Megan Hills, the former Columbus Cat, put the Eagles in the lead at seven to nothing with a goal. But uh, the Magpies that kind of woke them up a little bit as um, as uh, uh, Hemingway came back. She created a couple of scoring chances, converted on a goal. It was 7-7 seven, seven at halftime. And the two teams were locked in a struggle at the beginning of the second uh, half. The Eagles took an 8-7 lead. And again, Tritzler and Halberstadt and Jennings really pushing the envelope. Uh, one of the players that stepped up in this game in the entire tournament was Roxanne Alley. And it's amazing we see some of these defensive players develop. Bevan English, who just announced her retirement from the gold from the San Francisco Iron Maidens, was that type of player. We've seen it with Paige Kicker. Able to clear space out, uh, and uh, low, as we mentioned before, the same way. Able to clear space out defensively, take marks, and be able to go forward quickly. And the Magpies looked back on their heels for a little bit, but 
with about five minutes to go in the game, they struck twice, first off the foot of Taylor and then off the foot of Hemingway to complete a day where she kicked seven goals for the Magpies as they went on the win by 11 points. 3-1-19 New York over D.C. 1-2-8. But I don't think any of the three teams, any of the two teams that came up short to the Magpies could be, uh, I think, negative about this tournament because there was a lot of really good football on display. And for the Eagles, you know what? As we said, they brought down a dozen or so players. If they can recruit a little bit more and if they're able to get another four, five, six players and able to sustain it over the next couple of years, it'll be great to see them in Division One. and I think they'll be really competitive if, if this performance over the weekend and through the beginning of the season is any indication. So the New York Magpies, champions of the East. Let's jump across to the West Coast for a moment because the Cascadia tournament was played over the weekend in Tacoma, Washington State. And featuring three teams, the hometown Seattle Grizzlies, the Portland Sockeyes, and the defending national champion, three-time national champion, San Francisco Iron Maidens. And you know what, Pete? We said it. It was like a broken record the last couple of years. The Iron Maidens always show up on Nationals weekend, but during the year, it's been kind of dodgy. And on this occasion, and uh, we're still waiting to get a look at the rosters to see who actually was playing in the uh, for each team. Seattle defeated the Iron Maidens in the opening game, keeping them off the major scoreboard. Seattle two straight 12, defeating San Francisco three behinds, and then the Iron Maidens had to had to face a fully loaded Portland side, and again. Could not find the big sticks. Portland, 8-2-50, defeating the Iron Maidens, two behind. So just like in the Eastern Regional, the final game of the three-team round robin was a pseudo-grand final. And you had to tip Seattle at home looking at this. But this was, again, probably one of the best games of the tournament and one of the best games across the, across the country. As the Sockeyes got up over the Grizz by seven points, Portland 2-2-14 defeating Seattle 1-1-7. Simone Shepard, named best on ground for the tournament, best and fairest. She is showing no signs of slowing down, and neither is that Portland Sockeyes team. As we come upon the Western Regional on July 27th, they have to think that they have a good chance to repeat and to win their third in four years, also considering the fact that they're only going to be playing an hour down the, down the road. Seattle played really well. Be interesting to see where they get more scoring from. Uh, the fact that they only scored 19 points in three games, it shows that they have really good defense. They just have to figure out how to penetrate the offense. And for the Iron Maidens, we'll see what kind of team they bring. Uh, again, if they're fully loaded, I don't know that there are very many teams that can beat them, but as we said, not been the strongest during the regular season. They always seem to put it together at nationals. It'll just have to be interesting to see what kind of squad they bring and what kind of effort they can put forth when we get to Salem. Absolutely some surprising results out of that tournament. Uh, first of all, as you said, with the Iron Maidens uh, losing both games, considering they've had some excellent numbers showing up, not only for their training, but for their Metro League back in San Francisco. For the Portland Sockeyes, who may be soon missing Heather Serpico, uh, which would give them some forward power because she's relocating to Texas. And then, of course, for Seattle to put up a, a pretty good performance in the tournament, considering that they're now missing due to relocation to Australia, Valerie Barber-Exthelm and April Lewis. Yeah, and, and those two players not being around, I think, does hurt them. But 
Seattle has built a, a pretty deep team over the last two years, Peter. And, you know, uh, you look at a player like Amelia Carr, who is incredibly athletic with Tia Holmes, who's really stepped up in the defensive side. Uh, you look at Allison Leonard, who is in the freedom training camp, uh, Tegan Hamilton as well. Uh, you look at Marion Dickinson. There are some, there's good athleticism up and down the track with the, with the Grizzlies. And, you know, their, their appearance in the grand final at the Nationals last year was no fluke considering also the fact that they were having injury problems. Portland is also a deep team and Serpico, you know, much like Barbara Axelm is the reason that this is, is one of the main reasons why this team got the running start that they did. Uh, helping to recruit when they were sitting on just two or three players, and now look at them—they're they're playing in Division One as they did last season. Uh, hopefully, they'll be able to get the numbers to do that again. Uh, you kind of have to think at this point they're the favorites for the Western Regionals. Players like Brandy Machado, who brings in height and speed, almost like a Katrina Scherer type. Uh, you look at—we uh, at, mentioned Simone Shepard. Uh, there's there's really good players in that in that Sockeyes team, and they come in all shapes and sizes. Serpico going to Austin, however, I think is one of the best things that could happen uh, for footy in Texas on the women's side. And I know in talking to uh, Sonia Lavelle in Houston that that, uh, really excited about the prospect because Austin really has been behind the eight ball compared to Dallas and Houston in in growing that Texas Heat program. So hopefully it'll get to the point where they can bring in a number of players from Austin for that heat side and eventually have three separate teams between the three teams between the three big cities in Texas. Looking ahead on the US AFL calendar for the women, uh, the next big date's coming up on July 13. It is the second round of the Eastern AFL women's competition being held in New York, New York, and also on that day the Central Regionals in Westminster, Colorado. Yeah, uh, always great when there's an Eastern Regional and, and uh, you know, the, the Magpies will be coming in with a full head of steam. Uh, you know that they're going to have probably their full complement of players uh, and uh, it'll be great to see a lot of their rookies, a lot of their second-year players as well, not only their Aussies, but their Americans and see how they go. But the Central Regionals really excited. Uh, as we mentioned, the players from Nashville will be making the trip out there. Texas will bring a full side uh, as full as they can. I think they said they've committed right now 10 and they're hoping to get to the point where they have about 14 uh, and maybe a little bit more. The Denver Bulldogs, you know, they're going to defend their home turf uh, and it, it'll be interesting to see what kind of team comes from them. Uh, they, of course, uh, lost to the Arizona Lady Hawks uh, a couple of weeks ago at home, but it must be mentioned that the, the uh, Bulldogs did lend a couple of players to that Hawks side, which also had players from the L.A. Dragons. Uh, waiting to see what kind of team the Minnesota Freeze is bringing. I know that uh, they're trying to bring a full side as well. They haven't uh, uh, done so over the last couple of years. Uh, it'll be great to see them. Uh, Chicago will be sending a number of players as well. We might even see a couple from North Star Blue Ox and from the Des Moines Roosters. Might be the same situation as we had in the Eastern Regionals with three teams. The hope is, is that they'll be able to play 14 aside or 16 aside, unlike last year where they were playing 12 aside. So um, excited about uh, that tournament. I know the Bulldogs with their uh, have a lot of rookies, a lot of turnover, but uh, their veterans are uh, like Sarah Edwards, Roner, Anna Thaxton. They're hanging on, and uh, they have to be the favorite out of that Central Regional. But just like the East, a lot of up-and-coming teams and up-and-coming players, and that'll be fun to watch. 
Well, Brian Barish, thank you very much for your company here on RSN Carnival and Women's Australian Rules Football. And we look forward to catching up with you in a month's time when we look at the Central Regional Tournament. As do I. Peter, always a pleasure. And before we head across to the AFL London Women's League, just to let you know, AFL Germany's women's competition has round three this Saturday, the 22nd of June at 5pm uh, when the Southern Tigeroos play host to the Rhine-Main Redcats. You can find out more about that by searching for Australian Football League Germany on Facebook. And joining us on the line now here at RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival to take a look at the AFL London Women's League. We've got on the line from AFL London, Shannon Power. Shannon, how are you? I'm very well. I've got a summer cold, but I'm, I'm soldiering through to do this with you today, Peter. I'm very glad that you've got summer weather there because it's now <laughs> freezing cold winter here in Melbourne. Let's start off by having a look at the women's conference division that was played over the weekend. And first of all, a very low-scoring tussle between the Swans and the Wildcats. Yeah, absolutely. We really did think that this was going to be an easy win for the Swans, but it seems the Wildcat put up, Wildcats put up a really good fight in what was the only way we can describe it, I guess, is a very like closely contested game. Um, the Swans did manage to scrape that one extra point to get them over the line. Um, so they, they still, it still counts as undefeated, even though it was such a low-scoring game with the Swannies only scoring two behind and the Wildcats only scoring one behind the entire game. And in the other game was the Wandsworth Demons versus the Putney Magpies. The Demons have won uh, two in a row now. Yeah, that's it. So um, the Wandsworth Demons completely dominated this game. Um, there should be a good fight for the second and third in the league after this uh, match. So the results in the next couple of weeks of the games could really define final placing. So um, the Wandsworth Demons, uh, I guess we could say, smashed the Putney Magpies 4-13-37 uh, to Putney 1-2 uh, overall score of eight points. Let's have a look towards the women's uh, premier division. Uh, the South East London Giants took on the Wandsworth Demons at Peckham Rye. Yes, um, the Demons continued their run this season by beating the Giants 61-0. to um, And the Demons' experience, I just have so many more players to pick from, was too much for the Giants. The Giants, though, they did stage a pretty gutsy fight back in the second half, but were just unable to capitalise when the ball came into their 50. Uh, Emily Kelly was a top scorer for the Demons with four goals, and Susie Carr was best for the Giants on the day. And in the other game down at Motspur Park, it was the Wimbledon Hawks up against the North London Lions. Yeah, that's it. Um, the Lions came back strong after their close match with the Wildcats the week before, and they just convincingly beat the Hawks 58-0. to Stephanie Philbrae scored five of the Lions' eight goals, and uh, I think is very much in the running for the top goal scorer in the Women's Premiership League over here at AFL London. Looking ahead, uh, I believe we've got Thursday night football this week. Yeah, that's right. The second midweek game of the season, and that's between the West London Wildcats versus the South East London Giants. It's a Wildcats home game, and only a couple of weeks ago, these two had a very competitive game um, with the Giants coming out on top. And again, we expect this to be a close match, so it'll be hard to pick a winner. The Wildcats do have a home ground advantage, but we think the Giants might be able to just pit them at the post there. And a standalone game on the Saturday between the Demons and the Hawks down at Clapham Common. Yeah, so the Demons are back on Clapham Common this weekend. But based on the last few weeks, this could be quite a one-sided game. The Hawks will put up a good fight for sure, but we think the, the Demons really should come out on top on their home ground there.
Well, Shannon, thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we look forward to catching up with you next week as we review another round of the AFL London Women's League. Amazing. Thanks so much, Peter. So that's the international scene. We'll have our State League's footy wrap coming up on the other side of this. There's jumpers, hoodies and tees for you at leaguetees.com.au Leaguetees.com.au is your place for retro footy gear with designs created by local artists that you won't find anywhere else. Plus their unique range of women's footy tees help raise funds for Indigenous literacy programs. Get online and start shopping today. Leaguetees.com.au You're listening to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. It's time for our State League's wrap. Let's quickly head across for a score check to the West Australian Football League Women's Competition. Round six played over the weekend on Saturday. uh, Swan Districts 1-5-11, easily beaten by Peel Thunder 8-5-53. While Subiaco 8-6-54, thump Claremont just the four behind. Round 7 action is this weekend on Saturday. East Fremantle play host to Subiaco at New Choice Homes Park at 2.40pm. While Sunday, 2pm at Claremont Oval, Claremont play host to Swan Districts. And then across the Tasmanian State League women's competition, all games were played on Sunday this week where Tigers 5-3-33 went down to Clarence 7-7-49. Glenorchy 5-4-34 went down to Launceston 13-9-87, while North Launceston 23-13-151 trounced Lauderdale no score. Looking ahead to round 8 action, Friday night football, 7pm at KGV, Lauderdale versus Glenorchy. Uh, two games on the Sunday both starting at 12pm at Bluntstone Arena, Clarence versus Launceston while at Twins Ovals it's Tigers versus North Launceston. And I'll just quickly check in now with the AFL Canberra women's first grade competition uh, round 7 played over the weekend Eastlake 19-15-129 defeated Gungahlin Jets no score Ainsley Tricolors 5-4-34 tied with the Balcona Magpies 5-4-34 while Targronong no score went down to Quimbian Tigers 18-9-117. Round 8 action this weekend on Saturday at 1.15. It's Gungarland Jets versus the Ainsley Tricolors. 3.45pm, Tuggeranong Hawks versus Balcon and Magpies. On the Sunday at 3.45pm, Quimbian Tigers versus the Eastlake Demons. And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival to take a look at the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division we've got on the line. Lauren Hodgson. Lauren, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks, Peter. How are you? Not too bad at all. A big weekend of footy in Sydney for the women. One close game, three one-sided matches. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a lot of mixed results in there, Peter. And as you said, um, only the one close match. Well, let's start first of all. The East Coast Eagles, boy, have they been dominating. 13-14-92 against an Inner West Magpies who didn't get on the scoreboard. Yeah, look, it's always um, disappointing to not get on the scoreboard. Um, obviously, it's happened a couple of times uh, this season to other teams. And, and whilst the Eagles have shown their, uh, have been a dominant team in their first season in Premier Division, um, I think the, the Magpies would still be disappointed to... Uh, you know, to to not get on the scoreboard and give up such a a big margin, and uh, we saw Riley McGartland again um, 
dominate up forward for the Eagles kicking four and um, look, she's just having a fantastic season. But, I mean, look, the Eagles kicked 5-2 in the first quarter, so um, they certainly had a strong start, Peter, and uh, they're, they're definitely, um, you know, uh, probably along with Mac Uni and um, the, the top two teams in the comp this year so far. As we take a look to the second game, again, another one-sided result. The UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs only scored the one goal. Macquarie University, 13-12-90. Yeah, look, this is probably in some ways the most surprising result uh, of of the round, Peter. Um, you know, we've known that Uni are a, a really good side, or they've been a good side for a number of years. But as I just said before, you know, they've been one of the top two sides. But, um, yeah, definitely didn't expect them to beat the Bulldogs uh, by so much. So, look, well done to the Warriors there. Um, Simone Freeman was strung up forward for them, uh, kicking four goals. Sarah Corkiono kicked three of her own. Um, Nielsen kicked the Bulldogs' uh, solitary goal. But, uh, yeah, look, they'd, they'd be disappointed uh, with their form and... Um, yeah, they'll be they'll be looking to get back on the winners list. But Mac Uni are really just flying along at this time of the year. The Sydney Uni Bombers nine six sixty just got away from the Southern Powers seven ten fifty two at Waratah Oval. Yeah, look, it was a strong start by the Power. They uh, had a goal lead at uh, at quarter time and were still two points up at the the main break and and only maintained a one point lead at um, at the last break. So look this. Uh, it was it's probably surprising that they got quite so close. I, I thought it might be a, a couple more goals different, but it certainly sets power up for a, a good charge in the, the back half of the season. Peter will give them confidence to um to get so close to a you know a side that seemingly is in premiership contention. So McClure and Lotto were strong up forward for the power, kicking three each, um, and Laban was uh, Sydney Uni's best goal, kick, goal kicker for the day with four. So um. Look, Sydney Uni would be happy to get the win. Um, but as I said, it seems like it was a game of the round with a fairly high scoring and a close contest. A big result for the UTS Bats, 11-5-71 over the Newtown Breakaways, 1-5-11. Yeah, look, these two sides are obviously placed differently than Bulldogs and uh, Mac Uni, but I thought uh, this would be another close game. And uh, surprisingly, as I said, the difference ended up being... Um, 10 goals. So, look, the the bats have been... Oh, sorry, they're not the... Uh, the, the bats have been one of the most improved sides probably over the last sort of two or three years uh, in the top flight of Sydney Women's AFL. And, um, and look, Bean had a strong game up forward, kicking seven goals for the bats. She was phenomenal um, and was obviously amongst their best players. Uh, Sheeran kicked the breakaways only goal. They're obviously having a really disappointing season, but as I said, a, a good win for the Bats. And, uh, yeah, they're, uh, um, they'd be happy with that result. And it's a, it's a lot to build on going into the, the next part of the season. Let's take a look ahead to round 10 action. Uh, all games being played this Saturday, 22nd of June. Uh, first, 11.50am at Mahoney Park. Uh, Newtown Breakaways versus the Sydney Uni Bombers. Yeah, look, I think, um, you know, the, the Bombers probably got a little bit of a, a scare with the power getting so close to them. Um, and it shows them that, uh, you know, they're, they're going to have to be at their best if they uh, want to remain as a contender. Uh, but I think they'll have a comfortable win. 12.10pm at Waratah Oval, the Southern Power versus the East Coast Eagles. Yeah, look, this should be a really, uh, really good game. Um, obviously, Eagles got the win earlier in the season. I think Power... Um, are improving uh, with with every contest. Um, I think it'll be another close game, but I'm chipping that the Eagles uh, will win 
um, in another close one. We go to 12.20pm at Village Green, UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs versus the UTS Bats. Yeah, look, um, obviously the, the Bulldogs are coming off a big loss and UTS off a big win. And I'm actually going to tip uh, UTS. Um, I think they're, they're actually, compared to the Bulldogs, they've got a bit of form at the moment. So I'm going to tip UTS in a close one. And then 3.10pm at Pick and Oval, Inner West Magpies versus Mac Uni. Uh, look, this is probably one of the easier ones to tip. I think uh, Mac Uni are going to do it uh, quite comfortably. I think West um, will put up a little bit of a fight, but, yeah, I think uh, it'll be a strong win to the Warriors. Well, Lauren, thanks very much for joining us here on RSN Carnival, taking a look back at the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division, and we look forward to your company again next week. Yeah, looking forward to it, Peter. Now, AFL Queensland reporter in Ant Wingard was not available this week, so I'll just quickly run through the scores of round nine for the QAFLW competition. Uh, Cullingala Tweed, 8 3 defeated Cooperoo, 4-4-28. Maroochydore, 1-2-8, went down to Bond University, 2-6-18. Yuronga South Brisbane, 7-4-46, defeated Wilston Grange, 2-4-16. Well, absolutely 1-3-9, but no match for the UQ Red Lions. 15-12, 102. No QAFLW football this weekend as it's round two of the Queensland Winter Series between the Gold Coast Suns and the Brisbane Lions. This match being played this Saturday up at the Great Barrier Reef Arena in Mackay at 12pm. Get along there if you can. And joining us on the line now here at RSN 927's Digital Radio Channel Carnival to take a look back at the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition for Round 6. We've got on the line our league caller in Matthew Cox. Coxie, how are you? Yeah, very well, Pete. Very well. A, a big Round 6 in the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition saw most sides, well, most games, sorry, be one-sided. Uh, many teams dominating across the weekend, which we'll discuss right now. Well, let's have a look at that first game that caught everyone by surprise. Carlton 3-8-26 beat the then undefeated Western Bulldogs 1-4-10. Yeah, this an interesting result. The Bulldogs were top of the ladder as they went into the weekend um, and Carlton were without a win. So it was a very interesting game when we were watching the live scores of the game. The Western Bulldogs jumped out early on, uh, getting some early scores on the board, and they were only behind, kicking three behinds to quarter time. Two scoring shots to Carlton saw them 1-1 and with the jump. And then from there, Carlton just continued on their merry way. It took until the final term for the Western Bulldogs to get their first goal on the board. Sandral kicking that for them. Uh, for Carlton, they, they finished the game very strongly. Bromwich, Hosking, Sarah Hosking and Nat Plain, sorry, I should should have said, uh, kicked the goal there. The leading possession getter on the ground was Madison Prasparkas with 28 touches and Ellie Blackburn, who returned to the VFLW on the weekend, racked up 26 touches for the Western Bulldogs. The Hawks gave the Bombers a reality check. Hawthorne, 8-8-56, defeating Essendon, 3-2-20. Yeah, the Hawks finding some form after the bye. They really needed to... Get it together. Uh, the reigning premiers of the competition have had a very ordinary start to 2019 and have bounced back with flying colours on the weekend. They lead 7-4 to just one goal at half time. So really dominant. And then after that, as you would expect, took the foot off the throttle a little bit. Goal kickers for them on the weekend. Flanagan kicked three 
Rebecca Beeson, Rosie Dillon, Meg Hutchins, Phoebe McWilliams and Jordan Membry were the goal kickers on the weekend for the Hawks, whilst for Essendon, two goals to Wilson and one goal to Staffy uh, there for the Bombers. Um, having a look at the leading possession getters on the ground, uh, Pashek uh, had 24 touches, 13 kicks, 11 handballs, five tackles as well, while Anderson for the Bombers was the leading possession getter for them with 23 disposals. Oh my, how the mighty have fallen. The Darabin Falcons just one solitary behind. I'll repeat that again. The Darabin Falcons just one solitary behind. Collingwood 11-13-79. If you'd told me that scoreline 24 months ago, I would have told you to keep walking because you're a little sideways, Pete. Um, that, that is, it's, it's disappointing to see, um, but as we heard from Michael Erickson on the weekend, they've had over half their list turned over. Um, a lot of young local footy players coming up into that side, which obviously makes it difficult. They did get Lauren Arnell back on the weekend for them, um, but that didn't stop the bloodbath. And for Collingwood, even though it was an impressive scoreline, 11-13, they ended up kicking, felt as if they could have gone another gear. I don't think they were as sharp, and I don't think, uh, they were as impressive as what they could have been, which means danger signs for uh, Darabin. They, they got off a little bit. Um, Teddy Kula-Reed, as you reported at three-quarter time in the match on the weekend, wasn't happy with the way that they switched off in that third term, which allowed the Falcons to get their only score of the game, that minor score. But the possessions overall in this game, 64% the way of Collingwood, only 36% the way of the Falcons and inside 50s, as you'd expect, dominant the way of Collingwood, 32 to 11. Uh, the two standout performances on the weekend, Chloe Malloy kicked five goals and racked up 25 touches, the leading possession getter on the ground. Uh, took eight marks, also laid five tackles, was a real standout performer for them. Jamie Lambert also kicked four goals on the weekend, racked up 21 touches and took Four marks, so again, an impressive performance from her. The other goal kickers, Bree Davey and Katie Lynch, contributing on the scoreboard. Davey was also up there with disposals, racking up 21, laying seven tackles. Shani Layton, we mentioned this during the broadcast on the weekend, had a very solid performance on the weekend. Great decision-making, great positioning around the ground for her. Uh, racked up 18 disposals and had 12 hitouts. The leading possession getter on the ground for the Falcons. You have to go down a fair way on the list to Lauren Arnell only having 14 disposals on the weekend. Laid two tackles uh, and took one mark. The NT Thunder 3-10-28 defeated on their home turf by Richmond 7-7-49. Yeah, early stages of the game the Thunder got out to a pretty handy lead halfway through the second term. Uh, they were up quite comfortably, and then Richmond switched it on, and they found a way to get over the line. Also, inaccuracy costing the Northern Territory Thunder on the weekend. They're 10 behind, uh, suggesting that they could have potentially been a little more accurate and kept themselves in the contest. But all credit to Richmond. They're on top of the ladder. Um, they are flying at the moment, and with names like Brennan, uh, and also, if you have a look at the, the list from the weekend, they actually didn't have... Uh, just checking there. They didn't have Monique Conti in the side either. So impressive that some of the stars are, are not playing uh, on the weekend and they were still able to put in that performance up north. So credit to 
the Richmond Tigers for their performance on the weekend. As I said, Brennan kicked two, Wakefield two, Colwell, Paterno, Stall Smith, the goal kickers for the Tigers. Angela Foley con- continues her good run of form, kicking two goals. Daniel Ponta back in the Northern Territory Thunder lineup, also getting a goal. Foley was the leading possession getter on the ground on the weekend with 24 touches, three tackles, six marks. Brennan also prominent, 19 disposals, six tackles, seven marks in addition to her two goals. Taylor Stoll-Smith leading with 10 goals at the moment on the league goal-kicking table. Let's see if she can get away with the league goal-kicking medal, pardon the pun. And just just before you uh, move on to, I've made an error there. Richmond are currently sitting second on the ladder. They're equal with Collingwood on points. To the final game of the round, the Southern Saints and Melbourne University. It was an arm wrestle leaning into half time. We were just wondering how Melbourne U were going to grind out the victory from there. Instead, like Richmond, the Southern Saints flicked the switch and they ran out comfortable winners 6 13 49 to 3 3 21. Interesting, the stats in the game are uh, incredibly even. You look at uh, the possession count on the weekend 50% spread apiece. Very close. The real difference was the inside 50s, 49 to 28, the way of the Southern Saints. And obviously, the rebound 50s going the other way. Melbourne University, 42 to 25. It was a, it was a game, as you said. The first half was a real arm wrestle. The ball was stuck largely between the arcs, um, and then the Southern Saints found a way in the second half to, to kick away. Disappointing again, the inaccuracy probably cost them a greater margin and a greater percentage booster, but see some dominant performances inside 50 from uh, Caitlin Greiser and Kate Shearlaw, both kicking two goals apiece, both uh, creating a lot of influence and impact inside 50. Greiser, not only uh, a potential marking forward, but also crumbing balls on occasions and roving packs to, to get her score on the board. Kate Shearlaw just dominant overhead. Uh, clunking everything that came inside 50. There are other goal kickers on the weekend, Owen and Hoyt uh, for the Southern Saints with their six goals. For the Melbourne University Muggers, uh, Emilian kicked one, Garner kicked one, and Gillespie Jones kicked one. The leading possession getter on the ground was Jenna Bruton, racking up 30 touches on the weekend. Tilly Lucas Rod, the next best for the Southern Saints with 27. And that just indicates when you look at the top of the list, Out of the top five players for stats on the weekend, it was Melbourne University, Bruton, Trend, Gillespie, Jones, all having uh, higher than 20 disposals apiece. Uh, They just played around with the ball a little too much, I felt, particularly in the second half when they were trying to rebound outside of defensive 50. They just got caught. They were trying to go sideways and backwards, coughing the ball up. And uh, the Southern Saints, their structure came to the fore. They were able to take intercept marks. They waited for players to fall into the hole. They wanted to move the footy as well, which caused pressure on the turnover for Melbourne University. So they had a very impressive performance on the weekend, the Southern Saints, and looked quite ominous. We made the remark on the weekend, they've got a fairly even spread across the ground. And unlike Melbourne Uni, who relied a little too much on their stars on the weekend, the Southern Saints have a very solid list. Having the bye in that round, Williamstown, Casey and Geelong. Let's look ahead to round seven being played this weekend. First of all, on Saturday, 10.30am at GMHBA Stadium, Geelong versus Casey. You'll hear it live on RSN Carnival 2 and WARFradio.com from 10.30am, courtesy of the GoFooty.live call. 
Yeah, hard to see Geelong getting up at home in this one. Unfortunately, their form this season hasn't been too impressive. We know that they're taking more of a development path this year by the, just the looks of the, the list uh, and who's running out onto the park, although hopefully they start to get some of their AFLW stars back in the lineup. The Casey Demons, when we saw them uh, a couple of weeks ago play Collingwood out of Casey Field, so we're in the contest, but we're just lacks, uh, missing that uh, or lacking that class and composure around the contest. So I'd expect to get uh, the Demons to get the job done in this one. Uh, Cats, though, should put up a fight. Saturday, 11.30am at Morwell Recreational Reserve. It's Collingwood versus the Western Bulldogs. This is first versus third. And uh, a a very tight affair, I'm predicting, between these two sides. The Bulldogs will look to bounce back, uh, as we saw on the weekend. Blackburn was back in the side, along with a couple of other AFLW stars. Collingwood, uh, yes, they're they're coming off a, a fairly easy opposition on the weekend, but they are firing on all... Well, almost on all cylinders. They've got another gear to go, and I reckon they'll be able to find that against uh, a tougher opposition and outfit in the Bulldogs this weekend. Collingwood to win by under a couple of kicks. At 11.50am at Box Hill City Oval, the, the Southern Saints, they're in form, but they run into the reigning premiers, Hawthorne. Yes, who have also found a bit of form uh, last weekend. Looking forward to seeing the result of this one because this will be a yardstick as to where the Southern Saints sit. They're still a fairly young side. They've got a lot of players in that 20 to 25 bracket that are still learning the game, that are still uh, understanding. But as we saw on the weekend, they've got a good structure. They've got good system. Each player knows their role out on the park. They're coming up against the Hawthorne side, which is also starting to get back some of their star players into the outfit who are that little more experienced and uh, as you think, I said, uh, as you said on the weekend, Pete, they may be able to just get in the, the heads of the Southern Saints a little bit on the weekend. Noticed Meg Hutchins, Sarah Perkins uh, and Paddy Hill were all sitting in front of our uh, broadcast position on the weekend overlooking. So a very tight affair. I'm going to tip Hawthorne at home, but I reckon the Southern Saints are going to give them a run for their money. And at Bill Laurie Oval in Westgarth at 2pm, this will be the second of our doubleheader on Saturday that you'll hear live on RSN Carnival 2 and WARFradio.com. The two sides who have yet to win a game meet, Darabin versus Williamstown. Yeah, and based on the score lines from the opening month and, and just seeing Williamstown a couple of times as well, I reckon they're going to win this one purely because they seem a little more structured than they more competitive. Darabin looked lost on the weekend. Um, yes, okay, they've got the excuse that they've got a young list, but they're coming up against another side that is also relying a lot on local footy talent stepping up to the state league competition on the weekend. If they're not competitive this weekend, the Falcons, then I think the alarm bells start to ring because uh, the, uh, the once dominant side is, is falling and, and falling pretty quickly. Um, Whereas Williamstown, I've got a little more optimism about. You can see that they're making encouraging signs on the weekend or in the, the weeks gone by. So looking forward to seeing how they go on the weekend. I'm tipping the Seagulls, and I think it'll be about a three to four goal margin. And the final game of the round for Premiership points on Saturday at 3.30pm at TIO Stadium in Darwin. The NT Thunder play host to Essendon. Yeah, the Thunder at home again for the second week in a row after a stint down in Victoria. And the Bombers will be looking to re a bit of form after getting pumped by 
uh, Hawthorne on the weekend, an opportunity for them to, to spend some time together and, and bond a little bit on the away trip, the Bombers. So hopefully they can come back with the four points, but I doubt it. It looks like the Northern Territory Thunder have a few of their key players filtering back into the side, so they should get the job done quite comfortably this weekend. Now, having the bye for this round, Richmond, Carlton and technically Melbourne Uni. They won't be playing for Premiership pods, but they will be playing on Sunday. We'll be live on air from 11am Sunday morning with a 12pm bounce down to bring you the third of the GWS Invitational Series. Melbourne University versus the GWS Giants at Tin Alley, Melbourne Uni. Yeah, the good old Tin Alley. Good to uh, see it's still on the, the fixture and, and hosting this game. It's going to be a small field. I don't think um, the GWS Giants will be used to playing on such a small oval. Tin Alley a little bit smaller than your regular fields. Um, and depending on the weather that we get over the next few days as well, if we get a fair bit of rain, you know how uh, boggy Melbourne Uni can get. So could be interesting conditions for the GWS Giants facing on the weekend. We know they like to move the ball fairly quickly. Um, they are coming off a, a little spell. I think it's been about a month since they played Richmond at Punt Road Oval. Um, looking forward to it. Not sure about Melbourne University. I don't think they're going to be able to win this one based on how they performed on the weekend. But given that it's uh, virtually AFLW club up against its AFLW club, given Melbourne Uni are aligned with North Melbourne, uh, looking forward to, to seeing whether they can put in a bit more of a contest. Tipping GWS to continue their unbeaten way, make it three from three in this invitational series of five matches. Coxie, thanks very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we look forward to your company again this weekend. Yeah, looking forward to it. That should be another big weekend of Swiss Wellness VFLW action. And that wraps things up for yet another week on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival. Don't forget our live women's footy action this weekend on RSN Carnival 2 this Saturday from 10.30am. Thanks to GoFooty.live. It is Geelong versus the Casey Demons. Then at 1.30pm we present Darabin versus Williamstown. And on Sunday at 11am as part of the VFLW Invitational Series, Melbourne University versus the GWS Giants. That's this weekend on RSN Carnival 2. Or you can tune in via WARFradio.com or for the games on Saturday, you can also listen in via the VFL app. Don't forget to find us on Twitter or Facebook. Just search for WARF Radio and you can download this program as a podcast on Thursday mornings by going to SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or the RSN website. Just search for Women's Australian Rules Football. I'm Peter Holden. Thank you very much for your company. We look forward to it again next Wednesday at 6pm on RSN Carnival.